0: I think I'd be ignorant to say that Christianity is the only right religion. I don't know what the right religion is. It's just what I believe it is. Some people that I've met as just I've had friends and and the minute they find out about me or the minute that I I do anything that doesn't follow their religion, I'm they don't want anything to do with me. There's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad that can come out of it. And I'm not sure if it's from religion that the bad or the good comes out of it or whether it's the people. I respect a lot of faith and I think that Christianity is a pillar that's influenced by the other great religions in the world. My view on anyone who claims to have a monopoly on truth is that there's no one truth about anything. I think that a lot of religions say the same thing in different ways. Amen, amen. Oh, I didn't listen to that before. Hmm. <laughs> I think I should listen more intently, right? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for another time in your presence. We never get tired of worshiping you and praising your holy name. Hallelujah. And now we get to open up your word. I just pray that um, you will make it more clear and plain to each one of us so that we can glorify you in word, thought and deed. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, as you know, um, I love the video, Exploring God. And as you all know, we're in a seven-week series about exploring God. I love this series because it challenges us to focus on the main thing, which is being a light in a dark world, speaking the truth. In this video, this person said, I don't believe in absolute truth. We're going to discuss a little bit of that today. Um, Is there absolute truth? We're going to discuss that today. But these are important questions that you and I have to be prepared to answer. I don't think it's a coincidence that we live in the Bay Area with so many beautiful ethnicities in the Bay Area and so many diverse thinking on worldview, different religions. And he has sat you and I in the middle of this to proclaim the goodness of the Lord and to proclaim who Jesus Christ is. One of the uh, things that uh, I've always thought about was absolute truth. And I'm glad that we can stand on absolute truth. I don't want us to be afraid of it. I don't want us to hide from it. Everyone else speaks, quote unquote, their truth. Why should we be ashamed to boldly proclaim who Jesus Christ is. Am I right? The first week, uh, Pastor Jason was talking about, does life have a purpose? And he was he went into the uh, book of uh, Solomon, King Solomon, who had everything. And remember, we talked about how he came to the conclusion that life was meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Until you get into chapter 12, and he says, remember God, remember God, remember God. I can hear Jesus Christ saying... Because we have the new covenant. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Then the next question he asked, is there a God? And Pastor Valerie answered that for us. She literally went to Romans 1. I, I suggest that you master Romans 1. Because it literally talks about man has no excuse. They see my eternal power when they wake up. They see the sun and the moon and the stars everything in earth belongs to the Lord. But she also told us that man's heart is darkened, right? And, but there's no excuse, but their hearts are darkened and they've gone their own way. It's a tragic thing when God turns you over to yourself. It is a tragic thing. A lot of us think it's great, but it's tragic, right? And then last week, um, I tried to tackle... Uh, Why does God allow pain and suffering? These are some good questions. I want to pick up there. Um, I want it to be a little layover in pain and suffering. I want to pick up in Genesis 3 and 22. If you can put the first slide up, if you recall, I was talking about pain and suffering is caused because it's caused because of the three F's. Right. I talked about freedom of choice, the fallen world, the forces of evil, which is Satan and his demonic uh Angels that follow him. The Bible really says that Satan is so busy that he works in and the he works in people with their disobedience. Like they don't even know Satan is using them for evil. Right? But in Genesis uh, can you put up Genesis for me? Genesis three and twenty-two I want to share. Look at that. Then the Lord God said, Look at human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. This is before he made us in his image. You remember that in Genesis 1 and 26. He says, let us make man, let us, Elohim, let us, God the Father, God the Son, and Jesus Christ, or God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in his own image, in our likeness. What he did was he gave us freedom of choice. Then he said, You know what? I'm going to give you this beautiful garden. You can have anything you want, but we understand this tree right here. You cannot eat of it. If you do, you will truly die. What did we do? Satan comes in. He influences Eve. He actually makes our God a liar and said, God didn't say you will die, even though he said. He says, God said you will be like him, knowing good and evil, right? And so now we hit Genesis 3 and 22 and we see the word us again. I love it. Elohim, us, God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. He says now men know both good and evil. Right now we move forward and we talk about evil. Go to the next slide. Here I said evil needs a host. Remember that? The next slide. Evil needs a host. Who is that host? Humanity. Humanity is that host. Humanity is the host that causes all the pain and suffering. But let's go a little deeper. Now we can put, put it together and we can say sin is the cause of all of our pain and suffering. Yes. We can literally say that. Yes. Am I right? Help me out. Talk to me, Abundant Life. Give me some. Am I right, Abundant Life? All right. Thank you. Sin is the cause of all pain and suffering. But it's deeper than that. Not only is sin the cause of pain and suffering, but it's an affront to a holy God. A holy God has to deal with sin. He has to deal with it. He is just and holy. When we sinned and dece- and, and the Satan deceived Eve and we sinned, when God said you should surely die, you and I actually know it's a deeper question. There was both a physical death coming, but what came first was a spiritual death. There was a spiritual death. There was now we were separated from God. Spiritually speaking, we were separated from God. And God had to do something about that. Remember when Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see God. Nicodemus says, what do you mean? You mean I mean, no, this is not something that is fleshly. This is born of the spirit. Whoa. Right. We know this right as Christians. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, why did he say that? Because we were spiritually dead. Now, everyone that is born, they have Adam's sinful nature. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we I always wanted to say this. I'm so glad I get to say it. When I was a child, one of my favorite movies was the Ten Commandments. <laughs> That's a good movie, isn't it? There you go, Charles. You know it. Charleston Heston. What I loved about it, I grew up in the church, and that's why I love the children's ministry. One of my favorite songs, and if you're my age, you remember it, was He Got the Whole World in His Hand. Remember that? He's got the little babies in his hands. He got me and you in his hands. I didn't even know that I was learning about the sovereignty of God. He's got the whole world in his hands. So when I was a little kid, I understood that God was almighty. This movie, my whole family would slow down. We would eat. But that was the movie we all gathered around the TV. I loved it, man. I love when the Red Sea opened up. (laughs) You remember that? And my mom said he walked on dry ground. You don't understand that. That's a miracle in itself. I also learned that... um, my culture seems to talk through movies. My mother would scream, better listen, you better listen, Pharaoh. And you miss what happened. You better listen, Pharaoh. God is real, you better listen. And I thought it was just my family, but it's pretty much our culture's DNA. If you go to a movie and you see a bunch of my people in there, you gotta go back again. Go ahead and buy a ticket, cause we are gonna talk to the movie, am I right? Don't go in the room. He's under the bed, as if the actor is going to say, thank you and leave. Right. Am I right? So I learned that. I learned that about our culture. And if your culture talks to the movie, see me in the back. This will not be an absolute truth. I'll come and repent. All right. But let's turn to Exodus 2. I want to pull out some nuggets that will help us deal with this question. Is Christianity too narrow? And what I'm trying to attempt is to show you some of God's methods. And I don't want us to apologize for a holy God, all-knowing God methods. We just got to believe them and express them to a world. If you go to Genesis or Exodus 2, I'm sorry, Exodus 2, verse 24. Look at this. God heard the groaning and he remembered his covenant. Circle that word covenant. He remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Next verse. He looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. He knew it was time to act. Can you go to Galatians 4 for me? God knew it was time to act. Now we know because of the story, his people were oppressed and they were enslaved by Pharaoh. Look what he said in Genesis 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, next verse, God sent him to buy freedom from us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. I kind of like both verses because at the right time, God decided to act on his people, his chosen people, Israel in the old covenant. And at the right time, he decided to send Jesus Christ to die for me and you and to free us. From the slavery of sin. We're going to keep going. Now, let's go to Galatians 3. Let's pull some more nuggets. Uh, Or, I'm sorry, Exodus 3. They're saying, Keith, what are you doing up there? Exodus 3. Take our time here. Look at this. Keep uh, go down to the next verse. Not that one. Not that one. Not that one. Not that one. I love that one, but not that one. Oh, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at this holy God. Next verse. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Now, remember, we're slaves to sin. But look how God is a personal God. He hears your prayers. Don't ever think God doesn't hear your prayers. Next verse. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Pause right there. So I've come down to rescue them. There's another verse version that says I've come to redeem them. You, you know, where I'm going with this abundant life. I've come to redeem them. He, he's, he's a covenant God that we saw in Exodus 2. He remembers his promises. And his promises is yes and amen. He is not a God that he should lie. When he when the time is right, God acts. Now he says, I've come to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Wow, can you imagine? In my, my thinking, he not only rescues them out of slavery and he rescues us out of the slavery of sin, the dominion of darkness. But then he says, then I'm going to give them a spacious land flowing with milk and honey. They didn't even earn it. They didn't even earn it. That's that's like grace to me. That's kind of how I look at it. Next verse. So look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Next verse. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Israel. Abundant life, he's telling us to lead the unbelievers out of the kingdom of darkness. But listen, Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? I want to encourage you. Some of you might be shy. Some of you might be afraid to proclaim the gospel of God. Hold on tight. Who am I to lead the people out of Israel? Next verse. God answered, I will be with you. Hmm. You and I know that greater is he that is within us than he that's in the world. And this is a sign that I am the one who has sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. Oh, you will worship God on this very mountain. A lot of times we think our salvation is solely about us, but it is so that we will glorify and worship God. Next verse. But Moses protested. I like that. He's real. If the people of Israel... If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors that sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Next verse. God replied, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am as I am the one who sent sent me to you. That word Valerie told us about. I am, I am is a lot of heavy lifting. He is, he's basically saying, I am the self-existing one. I am the self-sufficient one. I am the absolute truth. I am the one who holds all power in his hands. Tell them that I am have sent you. Do you remember when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. Now the next verse. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, this is the first time that God gave them a name. I love that. That is my eternal name to be remembered from all generations. That is you and I. Now, let's get into this message at a deeper level. I want us to understand at a deep level that the question on the table is Christianity too narrow, in my opinion. It is deeper than that for us as Christians. Let's keep in the back of our mind that it is really about deliverance, salvation, and ultimately, who is Jesus Christ? So when we attack this problem or this question, let's attack it at a high level. Let's go to the main scripture here. Is Christianity too narrow? And let's let Jesus do the talking. In Matthew 7, 13 through 14, this is what Jesus said. You can enter God's kingdom, circle the word only, through the narrow gate. Listen to this. Warning, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide. For the many who choose that way, circle the word choose, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road It's difficult. And only a few ever find it. Ain't that sobering? Very sobering. But I already told you last week that you and I are so blessed. We are God's sheep and we know his voice and we follow him. He said this. "You You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. He testifies that the highway to hell is broad. Sobering, isn't it? The good thing is, we got to be like Moses. When Moses said that, God, listen, I don't speak well, I get tongue tied. And God said, Didn't I make your tongue? God said that. And didn't I make your tongue? And Moses was trying to have all these excuses because Pharaoh represents, Valerie said, man has a hard heart. Pharaoh represents the unbeliever. Egypt works represents the dark world. Egyptians represent the unsaved. And in that mix God had a people that he wanted to deliver and show his mighty acts so that Pharaoh and the Egyptians can bow down to him as well. Those are in other verses I don't have time for that. But now he's chosen me and you. I said we are a chosen people and we are his holy nation. I told you that we were his ambassadors representing his kingdom, not this kingdom. And then I said we are ministers of the gospel. All of us. Now we run into this difficult question. Next next uh, slide. This is what I love this slide. Look at this. We need to take this calling serious. Proverbs 12 and 6. Is it up there? Look at that. The words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush, but the words of the godly saves lives. The words of you and I can save someone's life. We have to take our call very serious. When I was meditating on this and God gave me that the words of the godly saves lives. It reminded me of our doctors. We have a few here. Pastor Valerie is one of our doctors. We have a couple that's a doctor. What would you do if you went to the doctor and you had cancer in your body and he didn't tell you? He didn't want to tell you because he didn't want to hurt your feelings. He didn't want to tell you the road to go to get healed. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? I like her. (laughs) She said, yes, that's what God is telling us. That we have to take this calling so serious because your very words, you don't know how the Holy Spirit is going to use us. We already know that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they don't see the glory of Christ. But if we don't take our calling serious and if we don't take our words serious, then people who we run into day and day are on. They're walking the broad way and they're on their way to hell. But your very words can actually save them by proclaiming the good news. I just think that's a very, very powerful scripture to meditate on. Now, as I said, for the Christian, this question is about redemption, deliverance, and salvation. One of the people on the video said, I, I just don't think the road is narrow and I don't believe in absolute truth. I actually believe if the enemy who's doing a good job, can get people to not believe in absolute truth, then you have mad chaos, which he loves. He loves mad chaos, right? And we're going to talk about truth for a little bit. Um, I, I just want to ask you a question, though. Before we get into it, I want to ask you a question about truth. You and I witnessed the world shutting down in 2020. Is that true or false? It's true. We all witnessed it. We were eyewitnesses. We were all with masks. Some didn't have masks. Some did. It didn't matter about all that. But we witnessed something that we've never seen in our lifetime. The whole world shut down because of a virus. Will that be true 100 years from now? If someone doesn't believe it and someone writes that didn't happen, does it make it not true? It did happen. It did happen. It's an absolute truth. Let's go to the uh, let's go to the next slide about true. I have some ideas about this. Tell me what you think. It says this absolute truth is naturally narrow and it excludes its opposite. Two plus two equals four with no other answer being possible. I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care what professors say. It's not true. Two plus two equals four. The point is critical as, as different belief systems and worldviews are compared, right? John fourteen six says this. What does it say? It says, I am the truth. Well, he says, I am the way, going back to the narrow road. Then he says, not only am I the way, the narrow road that leads to godliness and to heaven, but he says, I am the truth. When he said this, the Jews of his day wanted to stone him because, again, he was making himself to be God, all-powerful and all-knowing, the great I am, as we read in Exodus. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. We are his disciples. We have to say what Jesus said and only what he said. Right? That's it. Um, Can you pull up uh, John 8? I think it's 5, 8, John 8. Verse 58. Pull that up. I want to see what that says. That's deep right there. He's, he, not only did he say, I'm, then he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. I just love that. Before he was born, I am. Right. And we also know as we're setting this up, talking to the unbeliever, that not only is Jesus the way, the truth and the life, And no one can come to the Father but through him. This is what Jesus keeps telling us over and over again. And I'm trying my best, Pastor Sharon, not to go into your sermon next week, which says, is Jesus really God? But this question on the table, as we answer it today as Christians, we have to understand that it is not about comparing religions and being casual about it. It is about the very souls of the people that we are talking to. Let's talk about absolute truth again. Next, next, next slide. This is what I love. Truth is whatever conforms to the mind of God. And truth is not a changeable reality. It's just not. COVID happened. You can try to write the history books and lie about it 100 years from now, but we witnessed it. 50 years from now, if someone said that didn't happen and you were alive, you can say, no, I actually, I didn't catch COVID. You can say, I know people that caught COVID. I know people that died from this disease and the world did shut down. We have so much evidence. So truth is unchangeable. It says both in Malachi 3.6 and Hebrews 13 and 8, declare that God is the same always and he never changes. He is always good. He is always loving and he is always powerful. No matter how this world changes around us, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Am I right? This is a slide that um, the next slide talks about the logic of non-contradiction, which I got from Pastor Valerie. I'm so glad we have someone with a master's degree in apologetics that can help us out. Iron sharpens iron. Look what the core of logic of non-contradiction says. It literally says uh, something cannot be both A and non-A at the same time and in the same sense. Jesus cannot be both God and not God. As we are witnessing the people, where that good doctor giving them the good medicine, showing them that the only way to be right with God is through Jesus. Jesus is God. He cannot be both God and not God at the same time. It's logical. It's totally logical. Now I just want to talk about some of the things, highlight some of the things that other religions believe. Let's kind of dissect them a little bit. Um, the Muslims believe that salvation comes to those who obey Allah sufficiently, that good deeds outweigh the bad. Remember how they said Christianity is too narrow. Aren't all religions the same? And don't they all point to God? And can't you get there? Well, here the Muslims believe that um, you got to obey Allah sufficiently and that your good deeds outweigh the bad. That's what they believe. Hinduism and Buddhism, they believe something different. They believe salvation is reached when the worshiper is freed from the cycle of reincarnation. I think that's a narrow belief, but... They always talk about us being narrow, right? But he says the worshiper is free from the cycle of reincarnation. And his spirit becomes one with God. Then he says, one is free by ridding oneself of bad karma. I'm witnessing to one of my coworkers who's a Hindu now. And, we, we, and we're doing this as a Christian. We need to, like Zeke said, let's go in love. Let's understand that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that we are saved, let's not be condemning to people. Let's understand that their eyes are blinded to see the glory of God. I I didn't do a deeper dive on Confucianism, but they say that they don't even believe that there is a future heaven. It's unknowable to them. A lot of them believe that now having good behavior now counts. A lot of them uh, pray to their ancestors. And I think that's pretty narrow, too, wouldn't you say? I don't I don't think we're all talking about the same thing. If the Muslim believe that you have to pray a certain time of day and you have to have all these works and, you know, by the time it, it, the bad will outweigh the good, and if the Hindu believe that there are many gods, and we believe that there's only one God, then we gotta, something is wrong. That we all can't be telling the truth, and we're all not going to the same place, right? So, this is, I gotta ask you, the next verse, or the next uh, slide. Here's what God has to say about a work-based religion. Here's what God has to say about your good works. Isaiah 64, 6 says this. Hmm, All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are filthy rags. We all shiver up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. A lot of people in these religions, they actually believe that they can work their way up to God by their acts and their good works. And God is saying, all of your righteous acts to this holy God without the righteousness of Jesus is like filthy rags. He also says all have sinned and fallen short of my glory, not your glory. You might think you're doing good. You don't cuss. You don't cheat. You pay all your taxes. You're a good person. And this is what the average person believes in their darkened mind. But the holy God says, filthy rags. Your righteous acts? He didn't even say your bad acts. It would be one thing. All your bad acts would feel, okay, we get that. Your righteous acts. (laughs) (laughs) Not your bad acts. All of your righteous acts. Line them up. Line them up and put them up to me. This is what all the religions say when they open, when they die and go to heaven. They're going to look at all their righteous acts and God is going to say filthy rags, filthy rags, filthy rags, filthy rags. He ain't even talking about your bad acts. People think, well, the bad outweighs the good. No, you don't. All of your righteous acts are filthy rags. So a lot of you, you got to understand, a lot of people believe they can work their way up. And God is so gracious. He says, I'm going to come down. I'm going to come down there. You prepared a body for me. I'm going to come down there and I'm going to live the life that Keith cannot live, that Valerie can't live, that Zeke can't live, that nobody in this auditorium can live. I'm going to live that life for you and I'm going to fulfill the law and I won't sin one time. And then I am so good. God says, then I'm going to hang on a cross. Why is that? Wow. Let's go to Hebrews. Let's just go to Hebrews nine. And you, oh, well, let me just say it. God says without the shedding of blood, there can be what? No, no sin. Thank you. Is. This, this is his way. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the father but through me. Wow. Well, the unbeliever has a choice. The beautiful thing about this, I want to go back to works again. Not only are our works filthy rags to him, but this is why every Christian should rejoice in the Lord. Because it is not by your works that you were saved. It is a what? A gift from God. So that no man can boast. Remember when he was talking to his disciples and he asked, I will call it the eternal question. Who do men say that I am? And they came up, well, some say you're a prophet, just like they're doing today. The Muslims believe he's a prophet. They don't believe that he is the son of God. Right. And that every other religion doesn't believe he is the son of God who died for our sins. Then he says, well, who do you say that I am? You are the son of God. He literally said, man did not reveal that to you. You and I got to understand we sin is so deceitful that we think that we're all that in a bag of chips. We really do. We really think we can just go our own way. And that was Pharaoh's part. Pharaoh, he represents us before we meet Jesus. We have a hardened heart. We want to go our own way. We want to go roll. We want to do our own thing. We want to be our own God. That's just the truth of the matter. We actually believe that education and as more we get educated, society is going to be better. We have so many universities and so many degrees, but we still see Gaza attacking Israel and Israel got to come back and attack Gaza. We still see hatred in America, hatred in any other country. All have sin. You know why? Because we're born with a sinful nature and we got to be born again. We know this as Christians, but I want us to understand how depraved we are and our humanity. I want us to understand that. And I want us to be bold in our witness to the unbeliever. Is Christianity too narrow? Go ahead and answer and say what Jesus said. Because Moses said to, uh, God said to Moses, tell Pharaoh this. If he doesn't do this, this will happen. God told me and you, tell the world that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's a great calling. But we have to be humble because none of us, without the Holy Spirit touching our spirit and showing us the greatness and the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done, we will still be in the kingdom of darkness like everyone else. I wanted to make that point. Because not only are your uh, righteous acts filthy rags to God, but it is God who reaches down and saves us even through the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He uses you and I. Listen to these. I'm getting ready to wrap up. Go to Acts. Well, it's on the screen. Let's look at Acts 4 and 12. This will seal the deal for us as Christians. It says there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which one must be saved. Is it narrow? Yes. Is it God's way? Yes. Look at Acts 13, 38 through 39. Brothers, listen, we are here to to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right. In God's sight, look what it talks about, the law again. Something the law of Moses could never do. Meditate on that one. Something the law of Moses could never do. We looked at Exodus 2 when God said that I am a covenant God. I'm going to pull my people out of slavery, out of oppression. But God has an economy of forgiveness of sins. In the old covenant, it was the sacrifices of bulls and goats. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So even in the old covenant that he gave Moses, it literally says in in Acts 13 and 38, listen, 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 there's a new covenant now and we're under that beautiful new covenant. And because of what Jesus did, he forgives us for our sins, and now he makes us right with God because all of your sins are forgiven, not just some of them. The ones that are going to be committed two years from now, two minutes from now, two hours from now, has been hung on the cross and forgiven. The ones in the past have been forgiven, right? So everyone who believes is made right with God. Well, the Buddha doesn't believe that. Those who practice Buddhism, those who practice Hinduism, and those who practice Islam do not believe that. One of us is right, absolutely right. One of us is absolutely wrong, right? So everyone who believes in him is made right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. I just want to make another point, because I've witnessed to a lot of Muslims, um, I, that's why I love living in the Bay. Do you know that the Muslims believe that Moses was a prophet? They believe that Moses was a prophet who gave the law. Right now, Jesus said, it doesn't work, right? I've come to fulfill the law, right? But Moses is one of their prophets and even John the Baptist. And when they showed me that, I'm saying, John the Baptist is one of your uh, prophets? yeah. I go, is there anywhere in there that said, because in my word, it says, John, the Baptist says, look, uh, there he is. Yes. Uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, is, is that in the Koran? Like, show me. Hey, huh? But he's one of your prophets. Wow. We're, Christians are saying, well, OK, look, there he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins. One of us is right one of us is wrong. Do you know the Muslims, they don't believe, and I know it's complicated, they don't believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They actually showed me that David was one of their prophets. I said, David's one of your prophets? Yeah, really? David actually said, don't, don't take your spirit away from me. Is that in the Quran? Hmm. And they, I'm just looking at him, and I'm trying to witness to him. Wow. John the Baptist said, look. And they were perplexed by that. I mean, one of us is right and one of us is wrong. One of us is right. I want to end again because I want to make a very important point about Matthew seven thirteen and 14. You guys can come up, worship team. I want to read it again. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Jesus said this. We have to say what Jesus said. The, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose. Imagine God has given us freedom of choice. God is not sending anyone to hell. You're sending yourself to hell if you don't take the way that he has provided for us to be made right with him. It says, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. I want to say something that is beautiful, though, that we can never forget. Even though his road is narrow, never forget to promote how beautiful his grace is. Because even though his road is narrow, his grace will outrun any sin that you and I commit and it will cover any sin. Even though the road is narrow and he made a way for us, he is so beautiful that he said, you can't live this life. You can't live up to the law. Remember that in your mind when you are witnessing to an unbeliever. They can't live up to the law. Their righteous deeds cannot go into heaven without the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But while we're on this earth, when he says, I will give you the land of milk and honey, that is us just walking and basking in his grace. That's why the apostles can say rejoice in the Lord always. Even though they're suffering the world, he never tells us to rejoice when a loved one dies. He never tells us to rejoice when we lose a job. He never tells us to rejoice when earthquakes come and destroy homes. But he says rejoice in the Lord always. Because when you and I close our eyes on this earth, we wake up in his presence. So. Praise God. Well, let's spend our feeling.